I want you to set aside anything that comes to mind when you say politics. And I just want you to hear the word of God today as it regards our politics. Now, I know that many of you would know this Tuesday is election day. It's not for a president. It's what they call midterm elections. Um, there will be elections that happen in counties across Mississippi, in the entire state, in all 50 states, for different uh, officials. Um, and so I encourage you, I beg you to go out and vote. And when you do, to make sure that you're voting according to the spiritual principles that I'm going to share with you today in this message. Pastor, I didn't think churches could talk about politics. Well, the answer to that is yes and no. So according to the IRS, according to the code that governs 501c3 organizations, which are nonprofit, we are told and have been told for many, many years that we are prohibited from directly, this is a quote, directly or indirectly participating in, intervening in any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition of any specific candidate for elected public office. So today, I'm not going to tell you the name that you need to pick on the ballot on Tuesday. I'm not going to give you specific candidates. I'm going to give you scriptural principles that should guide you when you vote. I'm also going to step on some toes who hear this message, who haven't voted, and choose not to vote. I might step on your toes if you voted for Bush. I might step on your toes if you voted for Obama. I might step on everybody's toes today, but just take it as a loving touch from the Bible. Amen? Amen. Um, I'm going to do my best, honestly, to faithfully disseminate the word of God to you in a way that you'll understand it. And I give you these things because it is a very delicate subject to make sure that you understand. I plan to do what Paul instructed Timothy to do, which is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. To do my best to present myself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. That's my goal every time I speak to you. But I want to give you a biblical perspective regarding your civic responsibilities as a Christian and as a citizen. So I'm going to make a couple statements this morning before we jump into the meat of the word of God to get us um, on the right foundation that we can build off of. And the first is this, and hear me well, God's kingdom is more important than any earthly nation. If you agree today, you better say amen. God's kingdom is more important. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are first a Christian, and then you are a Nicaraguan, a Chinese uh, citizen, an American citizen, a Russian citizen. It's after the fact that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in multiple ways at different times and in different ways that God's word encourages his people and says, if you seek me first, I'll take care of the rest. The problem is, is there are some people, and I've even met believers like this, who are more politically engaged than they are spiritually engaged. 
don't hand me a voter guide and tell me how much you love this president or that president if you're not involved in the local church. Amen. Amen. So make sure that you understand God's kingdom comes first. In other words, we need to prioritize God and his kingdom. Amen. The second statement is this. God is primarily concerned with the spiritual salvation of every human. That's not to say that he doesn't care about governments or government officials or policies or politics because he cares about all of those things. But I will say this, his primary concern is the spiritual salvation of everyone he has created. And so we need to make sure that we're clear on that as we talk through some ideas around the topic of politics. You say, Pastor, you're preaching like tomorrow we're voting on a president. Listen, every election is important. An alderman who serves on a city council who has been a crooked, corrupt thief of a businessman and gets voted into office will change and shape the look of your community in a way that you don't benefit from with your children and grandchildren. So we've got to understand God is concerned with humans' spiritual salvation first and foremost. Third, I believe this, and I think that you will agree, America has lost her way. She has lost her bearings. I don't think that you have to search far and wide in order to find evidence of a sin-addicted culture and spiritual darkness that is all-encompassing and ever-increasing. You don't have to look very far to be able to see evidence of that. And I believe this to be absolutely true, that the only hope for America is Jesus Christ and his church. I truly believe that with all of my heart. And so knowing that the only hope for America is Jesus Christ, and you say, well, pastor, aren't you like blending or crossing the line between church and state? I encourage you to not be an idiot of history. I'm telling you, it gets me riled up, not only because history is one of my favorite subjects, but because Americans are stupid when it comes to some of the terms that they hear in mainstream media that tell them, oh, no, 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 the church is never supposed to do this, and da, 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 da. You have no concept. When you start heading down that path, you have no concept of the original intent of why we needed a separation. In fact, it's why pilgrims jumped on ships to leave England and other places because they wanted to separate from the state and the church and to say, you know what? The state can't rule the church. And everybody in mainstream media wants to say, well, you can't talk about your beliefs as a Christian. Yes, I can. And the IRS knows where to find me. Okay, so if you're watching this, fourth, you don't have a right to vote. You have a responsibility to vote. I want you to understand when I say that, what I mean. If I have a right, I can choose to exercise it or not. And that is the American idea and concept. 
But I believe, based on what I read through Scripture, not just looking at something that has like a nationalistic sort of theme to it with the nation of Israel, but as I look through Scripture and see multiple ways in different eras of time, in all sorts of scenarios, God wants his people to exercise their authority over the things that are important. And one of those things to you that you've been granted is authority to actually vote. So I say you have a responsibility, not just a right. And don't cop out. You say, Pastor, you're preaching really like this morning. I am because I'm I'm hot and bothered about this because I started thinking as the Holy Spirit led me to to this message and to develop it throughout this week. I started thinking about all the dumb things I've heard people say as cop outs before. Well, it's a corrupt system. My vote doesn't matter. What's up with the electoral college? It's not even the whole, like you, you could literally pick one of 75 different things. There's no election integrity. They've got dead people voting. Yeah, they actually do. (laughs) They literally have given cards to people who don't deserve to have a card. They've let, there's cases out there where inmates who have been stripped of their voting privileges because they're inmates have been voting on voting rolls. I understand it is not a perfect system, but that is not a reason for you to abdicate your responsibility to have a voice in your government. In fact, for nearly 200 years, every election Sunday, every church in our nation had in attendance government officials with pastors preaching from pulpits about the significance of honoring God in the public forum. You can look it up. You can read dozens and dozens of those sermons in all different areas of our nation that happened all the time throughout about a 200-year period of our history. So make sure that you understand You have a responsibility and don't cop out. I've heard plenty of different reasons why, but you have a voice and it matters. I think there's a scriptural argument. Sorry for that S whistle. There's a scriptural argument that we have a moral obligation to vote and it's found in Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 34 says this, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness is something that lifts a nation up out of darkness. Having judges who judge righteously is a great thing for the health of the nation and the culture around it. We've had some of those judges who have helped us even in modern times, and I'm so thankful. Having officials of any degree that have some sort of sway or ability over our government, if they are doing what is righteous, they are helping to exalt a nation. But the only way we can get them in those seats and in those spots or positions is if we make our voice count by getting out there and voting. We have the ability to influence the outcome of our elections and the future of the world that we live in for our children and our grandchildren. So let's not waste it.
Today, I want to give you a few biblical principles that you can apply to your politics. You say, Pastor, are you conservative? Are you liberal? Are you unit? Whatever. No, I'm not telling you any of that stuff. I'm telling you what the Bible says God is first. Number one, God is sovereign. He is absolutely sovereign. In Proverbs chapter, or Psalm rather, 22 verse 28, it says, Kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. And I understand this is a tough, difficult concept. You say, well, pastor, what about the issues that have happened over time? The, the Holocaust and uh, the things, the issues of the infighting in Africa. You think about uh, nations like Cuba being ran for years or a regime of some sort like North Korea and things like that. Listen to me. The word of God says that God rules ultimately over the nations. He has the power and authority over all things, and he can choose to stop those things or allow those things in his purpose, in his time, in his plan. So when I talk about the sovereignty of God, that's a big like theological word that sometimes we don't really, we can't really wrap our minds around. But let me say it to you like this in a simple way. When we say that God is sovereign, what we mean is that he's all-powerful and authoritative in literally the extent of being able to override all authority and power. He may choose to do so or he may not choose to do so. He may choose to do today or choose to do tomorrow based on his divine will and purpose, but he does have the power. Have you ever seen the picture of the yin and the yang? Equally white, equally black, like the little Chinese symbol. That is not the case. It is not equal rights or equal authority or power or strength between God and the devil. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Your God is all powerful and he can do what he wants when he wants to. And absolutely nothing can stop the divine will of God. If he has actually said he is going to do it, he will do it. There is no act, event, design, or purpose that God certainly intends to bring about that can be stopped by you or me. Which is awesome when you think about it. That's great. It's encouraging to know that God is sovereign over all things. And this is important, even in the context of politics. Some people want to call Obama the devil, and some people want to call Trump Jesus in the flesh. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. God is sovereign over all. He's sovereign over all. So even if your guy doesn't get in, okay, he's sovereign. But that does not mean that you get to sit back and not do anything. Amen? Amen. So... Second thing is this. This is something interesting you may not realize. God disciplines nations according to their deeds. I wonder what the punishment is for the murder of the millions of unborn children that we've allowed on our watch. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 18 that we can be assured that he disciplines nations according to their deeds. You say, well, pastor, I didn't commit that sin. Somebody else did. 
God holds the nation accountable. Look at what it says in Jeremiah 18, verse 7 through 10. If at any time I declare, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, verse 8, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. It's his choice. Verse 9, and if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build up and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. You have the power as a citizen of any nation on this earth to move the hand of God because you're a believer. That's a powerful thing that we should not waste. Look at what Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 28 and 29 says. This is God speaking again to the prophet Jeremiah and he's speaking about the leaders in Israel. He says this, they know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper and they do not defend the rights of the needy. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself over a nation such as this? God is sovereign and he judges the nations according to their deeds. Because we know that God will discipline nations according to their deeds, we can be assured that we can assist in the process towards electing the best candidates possible. You say, well, politics confuses me. There have been times I wanted to vote for this party and times I wanted to vote for this party. Listen, do your research. Figure it out. Don't just show up and check boxes because that's not wise either. While I'm on the topic, there will never be a perfect candidate who runs for human office. There won't. Every candidate I've ever voted for since I've begun voting has not agreed with me and my values 100%. In fact, there are days I don't agree with my values 100%. You know what I'm saying? Like, there, it's just impossible. Even though I've been married for over 15 years, my wife and I, we agree on a lot of things, but there are days we disagree. We don't, do, we don't agree 100% of the time. So it's not about trying to find the perfect candidate as much as it's about, and not definitely about just seeing what their character is like or their personality, it's about educating yourself on what their record shows. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. I've said this phrase before. It applies to guys as well, just in different clothing. Everybody wears their best dress on the first date. Guys wear their best shirt on the first date. So do politicians on the big screen when they're trying to win over your vote. So you've got to understand there's never going to be a perfect candidate. The only perfect candidate to rule, his name is Jesus Christ, and he's not on any ticket. So you've got to make sure that you are voting according to biblical principles, understanding that God will judge nations for their deeds. Number three, God not only disciplines nations, but he disciplines the rulers of nations. I don't know what your theology consists of when it regards hell. 
You think somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer is in a worse part of hell. Somebody like Hitler is in a worser, in a more worse part of hell. Uh, you think grandma who didn't believe just goes to like the edge of the door and she doesn't really have to go in. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are, but let me explain to you according to scripture. The Bible tells us God being sovereign means he will judge the ruler of every nation. Daniel chapter 2 verse 20 says this. Daniel answered and he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. The Bible says he removes those who he chooses to and allows those to serve who he allows. This is helpful for us to understand. That God will judge the rulers of nations. Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 12 says this. Then after 70 years are completed. Hold on. Let me tell you some context. God has allowed his people to be exiled into an enemy nation. That nation being Babylon. Because of Israel's sin, he said, I'm going to let you be punished for X amount of years, which happens to be 70. And the nation that I use to punish you, because they punish the people of God, I am going to defend, and I am going to bring judgment. Look at what he says. He says, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making it an everlasting waste. That's incredible when you think about the sovereignty of God, that he moves the players how he chooses to move them. But we get to play a role. The church and believers around every nation have an ability to contribute. Daniel was interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 4. And he says in Daniel chapter 4 verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you, Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening to your prosperity. In other words, you've got a boss too and he lives in heaven. And if you don't get right right now, he's going to punish you. If we prayed like our lives depended on it in one election... We sure better pray like our lives depend on it in every election. I got two amens. Can I get ten? Amen. Amen. Number four. In general, this is in general, listen to me. Disobedience to human government is disobedience to God. Pastor, is that in the Bible? Yes, it actually is. When you disobey an earthly government, because God has approved of the idea of us governing ourselves and being able to be ruled by those who would have been peers, you could consider them that, even though we've gone far off the deep end and now they live in mansions and we don't, and they have private security and we don't, and they get to go. There's a little bit of a switch up, but that doesn't change the word of God. Disobedience to human government is disobedience to God. 
And in fact, the Bible tells us that not only is obedience required, but honor should be given. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, it says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by him. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. This is powerful when you think about the fact that some of us have probably heard of someone who has a really bad, sour attitude about the nation in which they live. But can I just tell you something? No matter how imperfect, no matter how tarnished our history is, we are still a beacon of hope in the world today. We are the longest running experiment in self-government that allows freedom that people are still getting on rafts and going over the ocean. They are climbing over walls and they are doing their absolute best to break in to our country. And we don't have people like in North Korea trying to break out of our country. And if, let me just say this, all of those who threaten to leave our country, if so-and-so gets voted in, should have left and stopped sitting around complaining. Okay. Don't be that guy. Verse seven says this, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue or income to whom it's owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Well, they haven't earned my respect. They've. Are you the one who was responsible inside of the voting booth to put them in that chair? Then you have to respect the decisions that are made And as they're being made, pray that they are being made righteously. And if they aren't, you get a choice in the next election to unseat those people and put others in their place. Number five, there are exceptions. There are exceptions. Any governmental policy that contradicts the word of God must be disobeyed. If they tell me tomorrow that you cannot meet to worship God, I will disobey them. If I have to break into this building in order to open the doors so that some of the faithful could come together and worship the Lord, I'll do it. If I have to secretly start meeting in my house with all of you under cover of darkness because of the church of Jesus Christ being persecuted, so be it, I'll do it because I'm going to disobey human government and obey God rather than man. Acts chapter 5 verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered when they were talking to a crowd of people. This is after the day of Pentecost and they're being essentially micromanaged and told, you can't do this, you can't do that, you should do this. And they said these words, we must obey God rather than men. Does anybody remember the names of the three Hebrew boys that walked in a fire? I knew the kids would get it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, I feel bad because that was their names. I mean, can you imagine? I, you'd get it shortened, I guess. Shad, 
a bed. Yeah, never mind. There's no nicknames that you could call those guys. Listen, when they are punished, do you, do you even understand? They didn't just get picked as they were like getting bullied and they're like, hey, you three, you guys are, they were actually instituted as leaders in a foreign enemy nation. Do you think about things like Jacob, Joshua, Joseph, all of these in the Old Testament, how their rule or their leadership changed and shaped even other places. Joseph in the land of Egypt being in leadership. God put him there. Did God want his brothers to sell him? He doesn't want harm to come or cruelty to come, but his plan and his purpose was to get that man into Egypt in that spot. Do you think it was that God wanted him to endure the suffering of Potiphar's wife and those sorts of things? No, absolutely not. I don't believe that God wanted all of those certain hardships necessarily, but I will tell you this. He was put there by God's design and purpose, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible says they were in leadership in this nation and they boldly resisted what the king told them to do, knowing that they faced death as a result of it. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 3 verse 18, their words, but if not, and they're speaking to the king, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They determined that obeying God was better than obeying man. The Hebrew midwives that were enslaved in Egypt in Exodus chapter 1 verse 17, the Bible says the midwives feared God and did not do as the king had commanded them, but they let the male children live. Do you know who one of those children is that lived? His name is Moses. Verse 20 tells us God dealt favorably with the disobedient midwives because they obeyed God rather than man. Because they honored the sanctity of human life and said, we will not murder. That's amazing. Number six is this. Every Christian needs to research. So we've talked about obedience to government, our ability to see that God is sovereign, that he judges the nations, he judges rulers of nations. And now this is a very practical point that is just based in common sense. I've said it a little bit, but I just want to make sure that you understand. If it's a judge who's up for election, he didn't just graduate law school and show up there and put his name down on a piece of paper. He's been in a position somewhere that he's already made judgments. If he's judged righteously and according to your freedoms and that sort of stuff, then he deserves a vote. If you see that he's been corrupt and there's all kinds of weird talk about the things that have gone on and he's not judged righteously, then do not vote him in. It is that simple, but you have to do your research. You've got to see what policies those officials have supported and upheld. Remember, every Christian needs to research. Look at what they've accomplished and see if it leads you to believe that they will assist in helping righteousness exalt the nation. If you don't believe that, then don't vote for them. They don't deserve it. A side note is this. 
I would be scared to ask you to raise your hands in this room because I know there's one, but I don't know if there's a majority in this room who's ever actually gone to their political affiliations website and read their party's platform. You've got to do your research. Number seven is this. Every Christian needs to pray. I have upset people when we've talked about National Day of Prayer. I don't think that really belongs in the... I might have upset someone here today. I hope not, but I, I, I pray not. But I want you to understand, I believe that every Christian has a responsibility to pray for their governing officials. And we can't just pray for our favorites and then forget to pray for the next guy who didn't get our vote. We've got to make sure that we are praying. 1 Timothy 2 says it like this. Paul is instructing Timothy in life, ministry, all of these things. He says this in chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Okay, that sounds easy. Verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? So that we can lead a peaceable and quiet life. A godly, dignified life in every way. So Timothy was instructed by the Apostle Paul that he should pray. Do you understand, in the era of time of the New Testament, the people who are called the Jews today were still under threat, still temporarily in exile. They were being ruled by the Roman government. And Paul, who is being persecuted and chased by these enemies, is telling Timothy, honor them and pray for them. You've got to be kidding me. Pray for them? Yeah, because he says other things in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, like pray for your enemies. <laughs> pray for those who persecute you. Number eight is this. And this is my last point. I've got other things to say, but this is my last point. Every Christian needs to vote. Here in America, in order to vote, you simply have to be a living human who has gotten to your 18th birthday. It's literally it. There are other qualifications that they put in from time to time, or like I said, inmates get their right you know, removed to vote and that sort of thing. Once you die, you shouldn't be able to vote, although somehow that has happened um, where somebody voted for somebody they shouldn't have, like as that person Im imposing or being an imposter for that person. But I believe sincerely that every Christian needs to vote. Here are some staggering statistics for you to consider. The population of voting age Americans in the year 2020, which is our most recent statistic, was 256,662,010 people. That means they had reached the age of 18 years old, and they were registered to vote. America has much, many more people than this number is. We have many more millions of people in our nation than that number. But this is the number of those who qualified and were registered to vote. But you know what? In 2020, only 155 million, 500,000 
showed up to vote? Did you know that literally since 1824, voter turnout has always been between 50 and 60% of those who were registered to vote, which is not 50 to 60% of the nation's population. So I believe that there's an opportunity there for us to see that there, literally, the disparity is 100 million eligible voters chose to stay home and not go vote. You say, well, pastor, are you saying that you've got to vote for two of the, one of the lesser evils? Yes, in a way, yes. You've got to choose whatever you believe according to biblical principles that honor the things that God wants honored and not to remain silent like a hundred million people did. And it's funny, they're probably the ones who bark the loudest after the fact. Considering the Ten Commandments as a basis for what God's priorities are for you, I'm going to share with you just three or four that come out to me as I read through the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is that we should have no other God, right? So my understanding would be that if I want to honor God in my voting, then I need to vote for people who are at least God-fearing, if not God-worshipping and serving, God following, but we've got to at least be on that priority level. It's got to be number one. We've said it wrong for many, many years. Thou shalt not kill. That's not what the Bible and the original language says. It says thou shalt not murder. Murder means that I am not honoring the dignity of human life. So if there's a candidate on the ticket who does not honor the dignity of human life, then I am not going to pick that person. If, they, if they're not to uphold that, because that's one of God's priorities. Do you understand? He created you so that you could live, right? So we, we need to make sure that those who we vote for and our priorities when voting involve the dignity of human life. He also says that there should not be adultery, in that list of his top 10 out of 613 or so commandments that he gave. Those 10 have stood the test of time throughout every generation since then as being very important to us as believers. And one of them says, thou shalt not commit adultery, meaning that the sanctity of marriage is important to God. The sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, these things are important. And I would say the protection of God-given freedoms. Then, after you've checked those boxes in your mind with your favorite candidate, then you can have your priorities. Maybe you're really concerned about the economy. Maybe you don't like high taxes. Maybe you think everybody should have educational access and fill in the blank. Whatever your pet project is comes after God's priority. So it's, it's not about trying to get them all in. It's about getting God first and then whatever else that we want second. Because here's the thing. Not every issue is of equal importance. Everything can't be of equal importance in the life of the believer, at least, when it comes to us voting. Because I'm a Christian first and an American second. I'm a Christian first and an American second, which means I need to honor God. And then, then 
I need to be a patriot for the nation that I live in and I've been so honored to be a citizen in. So to maintain the integrity of the limitations that's been placed on me, according to the IRS, somebody who voted for those people to get into legislate stuff said that we can't do certain things. So to maintain the integrity of the laws of this land, I'm not going to tell you which party to be part of. I'm not going to tell you which person or candidate to vote for. And if I'm honest, some of these smaller elections, like the one that's coming up on Tuesday for us, you may not think, yeah, that person's so important, like not the individual, but like that position. But it is. Everybody who has to get elected, it's important. Since I can't tell you which candidate to vote for, but I have told you God's priorities, I want to tell you this. I want to tell you who I'm not voting for. I'm never going to vote for an official who limits any of my God-given inalienable rights like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that are in our original documents, in our founding documents. I'll never vote for a candidate who wants to limit those things. I don't believe we should. I'm not voting for politicians who limit religious freedom or expression. You say, well, pastor, doesn't that mean that you're protecting other religions as well and they can do their weird stuff that we don't agree with and we think they need salvation? Yes, because we're lumped in as being a religious group. And if I want freedom, I've got to let everybody have freedom. That's America. And so I'm thankful for it, but I'm going to make really sure that whoever it is has never had a history of judging or voting against anything that would cause a limit to come to my religious freedom, your religious freedom. I'm not voting for a politician who attempts to divide our nation into classes or categories based on race, based on income, based on ethnicity. Those people who are trying to divide our nation by giving every one of us labels are doing us a disservice because they are very, very vigilant in their attempt to make us no longer one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. They are trying to make us divided according to all of these little specifications so that everybody gets these special little things. But in doing so, what ends up happening is someone somewhere gets left out. I'll never vote for politician who supports lawlessness or stripping the law enforcement of any of our federal or state governments any of the local government. I'll never support a politician who happens to say, yes, we should have no police or we should take away their funding. I don't think that that's right. God, when he is, as he is sovereign, wants us to exercise some of that authority over ourselves and govern ourselves. And if we don't have somebody to enforce the laws of the land, then we are up a creek, my friend. So I'm never going to vote for somebody like that. I'm not going to vote for a politician who believes that everyone else's border needs to be protected except ours. I'm just not going to. I'm not going to vote for a politician who believes that certain lives matter unless they're in the womb. I hope to God you heard me. 
You can talk about all the little social excitement that everybody talks about. This is the new hottest thing to subscribe to. And I'm going to get a t-shirt and I'm going to tell everybody this is what I support. I'm going to change my Facebook picture and I'm going to do all of these things. But let me just tell you, if you are all about that, certain lives matter right here, right now. But you are all for putting abortion clinics in the inner city and killing millions upon millions of the same race of people that you are so uh, disassociated from what reality is, you don't deserve a vote. I'm not going to be part of somebody or parcel to somebody who wants to legislate that kind of stuff. And while we're on that topic, I'm not going to vote for a politician who believes that we should destroy the God-ordained institutions of marriage or family or think that they are a laboratory for social experiments because they're not. They were ordained by God. They should be honored by his creation. Amen? In addition, this means I'm not going to vote for a politician who believes that men can give birth or that or those who think that you can eradicate the definition of the two genders God created at creation I'm not going to do it there's just no basis to do that because and here's the reason why politicians who are really detached that far from just the foundational basis of our society have no right to be trusted to legislate the future for my children and grandchildren. If you can't tell me what a woman and a man is, then you sure are not going to be able to put in righteous judgments and laws in the future. Did I cross the line? I hope not. But here we go. As the family goes, here it is. So goes the nation. That's real. You see the divorce rate has climbed and risen over the years. It's so unbelievable to me that people will not put these things together and see when God was removed from the public square, all sorts of things happened, including a rise in crime, divorce rates, all these things. And this is not me. Listen, you've been here long enough to know your pastor has never preached judgment about divorce. I understand we are living in a time where things happen and people change and choices get made. That's not what I'm talking. I'm not talking about you. What I'm talking about is the family union it being ultimately and deviously attempted to be destroyed from the underpinnings of it being a God-given institution. So as the family goes, so goes the nation. And as the church goes, so goes the nation. I think when the church loses her voice, the nation loses its mind. That's what I really think has occurred and is happening because we've been giving in to the temptation of, oh, well, I probably shouldn't offend them and say anything. Listen, stand up for righteousness. Pastor, why don't you preach like this in every time? Listen, I'm telling you what, this is from God for you. And even if it doesn't apply to you because you say, I voted in every election, it's a good reminder so that you stay engaged in your local and your state and your federal politics because you need to vote. And the church itself, the church of Jesus Christ, cannot be bullied, should not be bullied into being silent because here's the deal. The cost of being cowardly 
is way too high. And we've given in. So don't give in. I've dedicated my life to building both my family, the family unit, and the church of Jesus Christ. Because I believe in these things so much. Because I truly believe they're biblical values that we should make sure that we understand. And here's the thing. I understand that what happens in the White House is important, but I'm going to tell you something that is more important. And what steers this nation is not what happens in the White House on Pennsylvania Avenue. It's the things that happen in your house. It's you praying. It's you leading your family. It's you doing your best to live a holy life. It's you and your engagement in the public sphere. It was a unique message, uh, to be sure. Um, and so I thought, hey, why not take the chance and close it in a unique way that we rarely do, except for in special moments. And I want to close our service today in prayer for our nation, prayer for our leaders, prayer for the elections, But I want you to stand with me and I want you to think about, I guess I can say this because I'm bold enough to say it. Think about the thing that offended you the most in the message and let the Holy Spirit help you with that. (laughs) Let the Holy Spirit help you because I really believe that there are probably two or three different types of people here today Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, pastor, um, I need to repent for not voting. If that's you, you don't have to repent to me. You know what repentance is? It's not God forgive me. It's God forgive me and Tuesday I'm showing up. That's what repentance is. It's changing direction. Maybe you need to repent for not praying. You say, well, I did pray. I prayed after 9-11. I prayed every day for my nation and for the leadership. And I've failed to do that ever since the height of that emotion was gone. Maybe you need to repent for not being active in prayer for your country. Maybe. Maybe you need to repent for championing a political party over the kingdom of God. But I really believe that if we understand the scriptural principle that's there, that God says, and we've referenced it recently in several different messages, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, the Bible says, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their cry or their prayer and I will heal their land. That means before I start giving God my to-do list of God, I pray you'd get so-and-so out and get so-and-so in or God get so-and-so in, whatever the, if that's gonna be your prayer, maybe we should obey scripture when it says that we are to repent and then God hears our prayer. So would you close your eyes? just as music is playing I just want you to just in your heart in your mind think Lord is there anything that I need to repent of that I need to change that I need to ask for your forgiveness of 
Maybe it's something different. Maybe it's that you've spoken poorly and bad about leadership and, you know, you dishonored or maybe you disobeyed and maybe you've been avoiding taxes. I don't know. The Holy Spirit knows. But ask the Holy Spirit to help you today. God, today, we as your people in this holy moment choose to take time to repent of our sins as it regards maybe skipping out on voting, as it regards not praying for those who have been elected, Lord, as it regards us maybe championing the cause of our political party more than we've championed the cause of the church of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would forgive us, that you would help us to move in the right direction through repentance. With your eyes remain closed, us having a moment to pray, I want to pray for our country and pray for our state. You may be very happy to know that the state you live in is a certain color politically, but those things can change. People who get elected on Tuesday can change the course literally of history. So here's what I want us to do. I want us each individual here today, whisper a prayer in your own words to the Lord for the elections that are coming on Tuesday and for your nation, the nation that you were born and privileged to be a citizen in. Heavenly Father, we know that the midterm elections, as they're called, are happening. And we know that future policies will be decided on federal level, state level, and even in our local government. God, I pray today that you would thwart the plans, any plans to disrupt or undermine the integrity of any of our elections. Lord, evildoers who seek to put viruses into voting machines or do any damage in that way, I pray that you would thwart their plans and let righteousness exalt this nation. Lord, I pray for those who will be elected, Lord, that they would be God-fearing and God-honoring people. Every man, every woman, every judge, every legislator, senator, every person that gets voted into office this Tuesday around this nation. God, we pray that they will honor you. God, today we take a moment and I pray for revival of the church of Jesus Christ here in America. Lord, we pray, we lift up the church and we ask for your mighty hand of mercy to to again breathe on us, your people. Revive us, your church. Help us to no longer give in to cowardice or to uh, being bullied in certain directions. God, I pray that you would strengthen and that you would breathe new life into your church. Lord, help us to serve and honor you. God, we take a moment and we pray for the salvation of all of the currently serving government officials. God, every alderman in the metro area, the towns in our county, in the counties that are represented here today. God, from literally every, the county commissioner all the way up to the mayors in the cities around us, to the governor, Lord, to the vice president and 
and president, God, we pray their spiritual salvation would occur. Lord, we believe that you have a will and a desire that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. So today we pray that you would save our president, our first lady, our vice president, her husband, that you would save all of our senators and legislators, congressmen and women. God, we pray that you would save those who are in local government as well. Save their souls and give them wisdom, we pray. Help them to judge and rule with integrity. God, help us to have people in elected office that uphold righteousness. And Lord, protect them. Keep them safe from harm. And Lord, help them to not cause any harm. Your word declares that if your people will humble themselves and pray and turn to you, that you will heal their land. So God, I pray today, would you join me, church, and just pray that simple prayer, heal our land. God, we pray that you would heal our land. We are a broken system filled with broken people in a broken and a dark culture. But God, we know the light of the world is available to us. And so God, I pray that you would do it and do it today, that you would heal.